Welcome to the Officer Command Q&A podcast. This is Paul Peluso, the editor of Officer Magazine, and I'm joined today by Assistant Chief Armando Aguilar, who heads the Miami Police Department's Criminal Investigations Division. Thank you for joining us today, Chief Aguilar. Thank you for having me, Paul. Today, we'll discuss implementing new technology, including artificial intelligence and facial recognition. Chief Aguilar, can you talk about the Miami Police Department's Criminal Investigation Unit and some of the challenges the unit has faced before implementing uh, this new technology? Sure. So the Miami Police Department's Criminal Investigations Division has about 300 sworn and, uh, and uh, professional staff that are tasked with investigating and analyzing all types of crime. We're, uh, we're a large agency, and so we're pretty much a full-service agency. Uh, we, we investigate everything from homicides to robberies to sexual batteries, as well as gang crimes, narcotics. We, we have uh, property crime uh, investigations, and we have also detectives that are both on a part-time and full time basis, task force officers with state uh, and federal law enforcement agencies. Basically, before you, know, you guys went into looking into facial recognition and other new technology programs that you guys implemented, um, what are some of the challenges that you guys face, especially with, you know, the, the amount of data that you guys were taking in and the amount of, you know, technology video data that you guys had to, I guess, sort through and look through? So we, we've uh, we've really grown as an agency, uh, as well as as a city. Uh, Miami is is definitely a city that, that that's on the move and the and and in the right direction. And we really face challenges with violent crime. Uh, we were uh, unfortunately we were consistently ranked among the top 25 most violent cities in America uh, just a decade ago, and 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 so many reasons for that. Uh, we we had low staffing levels. We had uh, di- we we didn't have the the resources that we needed, and and we've really just come a long way from that to where our our, our sworn force in the past uh, ten or twelve years has, has grown from uh, about a thousand to about fourteen hundred uh, wow. sworn members. We we also have have adopted. New technologies. We've uh, we've really become forward thinking, but uh, uh, in in the way that we investigate crime, the way that we analyze crime and respond to crime. Uh, but the challenges that come with that is is as you mentioned that we're pulling in all of this data, we're pulling in all this information, uh, and and now we have it. And and sometimes it's uh, you know the, the challenge becomes well, what do you do with it? And so video evidence is is really one of those uh, one of those challenges, right? To where Again, you look at a decade ago, and and you think about investigating a burglary, and and the availability of video evidence. Just you know, you if you had it, you were probably uh, investigating a burglary at, at the home of somebody who was very wealthy, or perhaps a business, you know, or maybe somebody that uh, you know that, that that had cameras at their at their property for all the wrong reasons. Uh, now it's it's become uh, really the exception uh, more than the rule to not have video evidence in most crimes but the challenge whenever you have video evidence is all right great now you have this now you have this video now you have this still image of a suspect uh but who is he uh you know who is that person and uh you you can you can run that on the news for example get the get the the help of the local media and and just hope and pray that that somebody that's watching that news newscast that night recognizes your suspect and once once that story runs that's it right now you know tomorrow it's uh it, it's the next day's burglary or the next day's robbery and you missed your opportunity uh so we we really feel that that artificial intelligence is uh and and facial recognition is uh has really helped bridge that gap 
And, you know, how has it bridged that gap for you? What kind of, um, you know, how, how has it assisted you guys with the investigations that you, um, you look into on a day-to-day basis? So again, uh, knowing that, that video evidence uh, has, has just become so ubiquitous in, in all types of crimes that we investigate, uh, we're, we're an agency because of the challenges that I mentioned before. Uh, we're an agency that did not have very impressive clearance rates for, for part one crimes over the years. We're, we, we would average uh, for all part one crimes about uh, 14 to 15% over, over the past 20 years. Uh, for the past three years, uh, and, and part one crimes now being a thing of the past uh, because we're transitioning into, uh, into NIBRS, but, um, but for the past three years where we've really gone all in on, on facial recognition, our clearance rates have, uh, have not been below 16%. And, and looking at the number of cases that, uh, that, that we've used facial recognition and uh, it, it, to where those, uh, that technology has resulted in a positive identification of a suspect, uh, I, I attribute about a full percentage point of, of our annual clearance rates to cases that have been made on facial recognition. And uh, what did the Miami Police Department do to craft a policy around this new technology uh, when it was first implemented? So in January of 2020, which is when we when we really started thinking about this, uh, there was there was a lot of coverage uh, and uh, and not and not a lot of positive coverage on uh, on a new back then new company uh, known as Clearview AI, and uh, there there was an article that was uh, that was very critical of uh, of the company and of the technology that was run in the New York Times, and uh, and I got to say the article really brought up some very valid points and some valid concerns. Uh, for example, the the question being that law enforcement would now have access to this powerful technology. Who's who's creating rules behind it? Uh, what's to stop a a rogue officer from uh, taking a picture of, say, an attractive stranger at a cafe and, uh, and, and trying to cyberstalk that person and, and identifying that person. What about peaceful protesters that are, uh, that, that are exercising their First Amendment rights and, and law enforcement trying to, uh, trying to identify people who are just going about their business, e- either protesting or, 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 or live scanning people that are, uh, that, that are walking on a public street? And so we, we looked at that and we said, you know what? Challenge accepted. Uh, we we think that we can harness this technology while while finding that right balance between uh, b- between public safety and and privacy. And so, what we did is is we reached out to as many stakeholders as uh, as we could think of. And so we uh, we, we started actually with uh, with representatives from the ACLU in Miami, uh, knowing that they would not be in favor of this technology but uh, but we brought them to the table and and we said you know we know that that just as an organization you're you're opposed to law enforcement's use of of facial recognition but we really want to get a better sense of why that is and so they they gave us those reasons and um you know i i gotta tell you that they were they were very thoughtful they they were very reasonable they all, all of their concerns were very valid concerns and and we were able to incorporate um, most of their concerns. I, I'll, I'll never call them a recommendation, right? Because they, 
uh, the, the, they, they did make it clear that the only thing that they would be happy with is if we scrap uh, the, the entire uh, yeah. the entire project. But uh, but their, their their concerns were very valid, and so things that we put into our policy were just very strong language to make sure that that our personnel were were aware that uh, that that a match on any facial recognition platform did not constitute probable cause to make an arrest. Right. So we we made sure that that we treated a, a match as as a tip that were that, that's called in say to crime stoppers right now now you have a potential name now it's up to the detective to go out and investigate that case uh you know put that person in a photo lineup for example if uh if you have eyewitnesses in the case uh yeah tr interview that person go through all the the traditional investigative steps that we would normally do if we had a tip called in uh another one was uh to include all of the search results in um in in the investigator's case file they they were very concerned that um that law enforcement would use this technology technology to just hone in on that top match and exclude everybody else who could potentially be a suspect and and again we we said you know that's that's a great concern and and so we're going to uh, include all search results in 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 the case file and that's uh, and make that discoverable to to the defense, just uh, okay. you know, in, in that spirit of of openness and transparency. Uh, so so we um, again met with uh, met with them. We conducted media interviews. We um, we got our our state attorney's office on board, our elected leadership, and uh, and then what we wanted to do was uh, was solicit public feedback through town hall. So we scheduled. Uh, three town halls throughout uh, throughout the city. This was uh, in March of 2020, yes. and uh, and then that's when all the COVID lockdowns came. Yep. So we we figured that we would get maybe 50 people in uh, in these town halls uh, if we were lucky, right? So uh, we said, you know what, we we have to cancel those. We said, you know what, let's uh, let let's do this on a virtual platform. We did it on uh, on Facebook Live. And we uh, and so we just did a Q&A session uh, just talking about what the technology was, what it was and what were we uh, what were we planning on using it for? And we, we just solicited public feedback uh, for what our policies uh, and practices should be. And so we got uh, we did it in English and Spanish and got about thirteen hundred live views for for each uh, of those town hall sessions. And uh, and we've since gotten about. 33, 3,600 uh, live views, or I'm sorry, views since then. Yeah. Uh, so we think we reached just a, a far greater uh, audience uh, in, in that platform than we would have in person. And I, and and once once people heard what it is that we wanted to do, they, you know, the the, the comments and and the feedback were were just overwhelmingly positive. Great. And how important do you think that you know public input was as, as far as pushing this technology forward? You, using the department without having, I guess, you know, to implement it and then get that pushback afterwards. I, I think that uh, again, we we learned from a lot of the a lot of the lessons that that other agencies learned uh, when yeah. when trying to roll out this technology. So uh, we we certainly weren't the first to uh, to roll out this technology, but uh, but we were the first to uh, to do what we did and and as far as getting that public feedback. So, so I think the lesson learned there is that whenever you're going to roll out any type of technology that, that has, uh, that, that has this type of privacy implications that, that, um, that, that is really, uh, just 
raised a lot of concerns in either in media coverage or, or that has that potential uh, because it's, it's kind of new and unknown. You're, you're really better off just being open with the people that you serve and, and telling them, you know, listen, this is, this is what we want to do. This is what we have in mind. And, you know, we, we want to bring you on board on the front end versus, you know, having you find out that we're using this later on and, and, and then, you know, come to find out we're using it in a manner that, that the public is not 100% okay with. So how, once, you know, you went through the public input and um, getting some of the feedback and crafting policies, um, how are Miami police personnel trained on the new tools at their disposal? So we started uh, using facial recognition uh, in 2014 uh, on, on a much more limited basis. It was uh, through, a, uh, uh, through a program uh, known as FACES. Uh, run out of one of the counties in Florida, the Pinellas County Sheriff's Office. Uh, it's open to all law enforcement agencies in Florida. It, it runs on a much more limited database of, uh, of mug shots and, uh, and driver's license images. Uh, we started using Clearview AI in late 2019. Uh, and again, Clearview AI uh, is, is a company that uh, their technology uh, searches images and video uh, for matches all uh, all over the the open web, so we're talking about uh, over 20 billion images versus uh, the the faces uh, database of about 22 million images. And so, um, at, at the time, what Clearview AI was doing was that they were giving trial accounts to anybody with a law enforcement agency email address. So we ha we realized that we had about 60 uh, officers out there, officers and detectives that that had these trial accounts. We really didn't know what they were doing. Uh, didn't know who they were searching, didn't know why. And so we, we decided to narrow that down to uh, the, the dozen or so uh, detectives and crime analysts that work out of our real-time crime center. Uh, gave them uh, about two hours worth of training uh, on, on what, the, what the new do's and don'ts of, uh, of our policy on facial recognition would be. And then we, uh, we, we did a 30-minute online training session uh, for all of the other members of, of our department. Uh, we, we felt that by, by restricting that access and, and requiring that anybody who needed somebody uh, to be run through any of our face recognition platforms, by, you know, by requiring those, those officers and detectives to email our real-time crime center with the image that they needed scanned, with the case number, with the type of crime they're investigating, uh, you know, and, and just those details would... Uh, would, would obviously just restrict the use of this technology to official business only, right? We would, we would avoid all of those potential pitfalls, like identifying people that are just going about their business or people who are exercising their, their First Amendment rights. Um, and so we just created a policy around this. That, you know, the, the policy that we created uh, starts out with, with definitions, right? Uh, just defining what's a probe photograph, what's uh, What's a search result? What's what's a match versus an identification? So when we talk about a match, that's what the the, uh, the face recognition platform delivers to you as a potential result, versus an identification just being that uh, that legal term for uh, for somebody being positively identified as as a suspect in a crime through uh, through traditional investigative methods. So the we laid out what the authorized uses would be uh so our our officers and detectives are only allowed to use facial recognition if they're conducting an official uh, an official criminal investigation or internal affairs investigation 
if they're trying to identify somebody who's cognitively impaired, say they, they come across a, a person wandering the streets and, uh, and that person suffers from dementia and we want to try to reunite that person with their family, uh, we use it to identify uh, unidentified deceased persons or people who are lawfully detained and, um, and refusing to identify themselves. And then we, uh, we spelled out what the, what the prohibited uses would be. So again, scanning people in, in real time, uh, people just going about their business on a public street, anything that has to do with personal use or, or, or harassing or intimidating any individual or group. Um, we we uh, prohibited any type of surveillance that's, that's based on any constitutionally protected activities or class membership. So uh, again, uh, no identifying peaceful protesters, no identifying members of uh, of, of any religious group, uh, for example. Uh, anything that's that's constitutionally protected activity, we we steer clear from that. Um, and, and again, then we, we just outline what the policy for, for utilizing the technology would be. We, we log every search um, and, 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 and we audit those, those searches every month to make sure that every request was, uh, was within policy. And, uh, and then we also implemented uh, a prohibition on manipulating uh, probe photographs, uh, the only, uh, with the only exception being uh, cropping or lightening or darkening a photograph, but we don't... Uh, okay. We, we don't do other other things that uh, that, that some other agencies have uh, have employed, such as you know copying or pasting eyes or anything. We we leave the probe photograph as is. Okay, and just last question here: um, What are some of the benefits that you guys have seen after the implement, uh, implementation of this uh, technology of facial recognition and uh, artificial intelligence? So we've we've just had some some great success stories on on cases that we either would never have solved or cases that that would have taken us a lot longer to solve. So again, just based on the number of of cases that we log, where those cases have uh, where we've used facial recognition and and gotten a positive identification uh, that resulted in an arrest, I I, I really uh, am comfortable saying that that I, I attribute a full percentage point of our annual clearance rate for the past three years to be uh, to be it, it due to our use of face recognition. So we have cases, for example, uh, where one case uh, that, that, that occurred this year where it was a murder. We had a, uh, an eyewitness who was very cooperative, um, witnessed, uh, witnessed one suspect shoot our victim, and, and was up front with the detectives and said, listen, I, I know this guy. I don't know his real name, but I follow him on Instagram. And so that, uh, that, that witness was in our uh, homicide office being interviewed. We were able to use this technology to go to that person's Instagram account, pull the picture off of, off of Instagram, which then yielded a, uh, yielded a match that uh, they got us his real name. We were then able to put him in a photo lineup and present it to the victim. Now think about, uh, I'm sorry, present it to the, uh, to the eyewitness. Within 24 hours, that suspect was in custody. Now think about everything that, that that would have taken without the use of facial recognition. Would we have identified this guy? Possibly. We would have had to subpoena uh, Instagram and gotten the phone number associated with the account. And then we would have had to subpoena the carrier and, and, and you know, served all sorts of subpoenas and warrants to, uh, to get to where we got maybe two weeks later, right, versus a couple of hours later. 
uh, think about all the all the retaliatory shootings that we uh, that we prevented uh, in between. Uh, it, it was just you know th think about how difficult it could be sometimes to track down that witness again. Uh, whereas here we just took care of everything within a couple of hours and uh, and we were able to uh, to to bring this person into custody the following day without incident. Um, so that, that that's just one of several other uh, success stories that uh, that that we uh, that, that we're very certain that that have uh, really helped us in uh, in reducing the amount of violent crime in our city and and just making us better at solving uh, all sorts of crime, including violent crime. I'd like to thank you for joining us today, Chief Aguilar. Is there anything that uh, you'd like to add? Maybe something we didn't touch on. I, I just can't underemphasize the the importance of whenever you're you're uh, rolling out technology that, uh, that 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 has perceived privacy implications. Uh, and I say perceived because again, we're talking about images that are that are, that are on the open web. Uh, the, these are the, these are images that that people voluntarily post to social media companies. These are images that are, uh, that, that are already out there in the public space. Uh, it, it's, uh, it's important to just have that conversation with the people that you serve and, and really you know, bring them to that, uh, to that understanding of why it is that's, that it's important for you to use this technology and, uh, and why you're using it in their best interest. Um, and, and what works for, for us in Miami might not work for another agency. And so uh, it, it's just important to have that discussion, uh, again, with, with the, uh, the members of the communities that you serve and, and really just come, you know, come to that common ground and to that understanding of, of how and why it is that, uh, that they want you using this technology in their best interest. Well, again, I'd think, like to thank you for uh, joining us today, Chief Aguilar, and I'd like, like to thank everyone for listening to the podcast. If you have any questions for us, please email our team at editors at officer.com and take care.